The following recording is from Parramatta Christian Church. We pray that this message inspires you in your walk with Christ. Well, good morning, church. It's great to be with you again and come to you uh, on live stream. Uh, what a great opportunity we still have to gather, uh, even remotely around God's Word, um, and to be encouraged and to encourage one another. Uh, before we jump in to the Word this morning, um, as you heard in Lewis's prayer time, our thoughts and our prayers are particularly going out to Jared um, and Abby and their families at the loss of their dad. Uh, let's just keep praying for them as a family. A couple of other things I just wanted to draw your attention to. Um, one is that I'm so grateful, so thankful to God for the incredible people that are working behind the scenes to actually put all this together um, and uh, allow us to continue to worship together and to hear God's Word together. Uh, we so appreciate, Dash and I so appreciate uh, all the hard work that people are doing to make this happen. So we want to say a big thank you um, and to uh, really... Um, appreciate and affirm their gifts and their skills and the time sacrifices that they're making to make it happen. The other thing uh, that I want to say that's been just such an encouragement to Dash and I is to just see the church coming together and coming around each other and encouraging one another and, um, and caring for one another. Uh, people are uh, in gathering in connect groups on Zoom and a whole bunch of other ways um, and are looking out for one another during the week and checking in with one another, sending texts and calls and doing practical things as much as they can in this climate. And that's just been such a wonderful thing to hear reports and testimonies of how God is at work in our community even in this moment of difficulty and challenge. And uh, even personally, uh, for us, so many people have sent us texts and emails and are saying uh, that they're praying for us and just encouraging us and blessing us in lots of different ways. And we just want to say thank you. Uh, and as the, as the leadership of our church, we're just so blessed uh, to be leading a church that takes um, Jesus' command to love one another seriously and are making the most of every opportunity we, we have to show that love one to another in practical ways. Uh, it's just been so encouraging and heartwarming, and I want to just say thank you uh, for your part in caring for each other at this time. Well, if you're visiting with us and you're joining us uh, for the first time or you've uh, found us on, online recently, we welcome you, um, and we're in, in the middle, actually, towards the end of a series uh, that we've begun a few weeks ago where we're journeying through Daniel 7 to 12, and we've been engaging with this theme, His Kingdom Reigns. And as I've been preparing these sermons, and others have too, we've been so encouraged to see how God um, has been speaking to us in this moment, in this time, through this series that He put on our heart weeks before the COVID pandemic really broke out in our world. And this series in Daniel 7 to 12 has had so much to say to us at this time. And I'm so thankful to God and the Holy Spirit and His leading and prompting and His directing us to sit with this, these passages and to reflect and meditate and be thinking about um, this theme of God's kingdom reigning. And the theme that we've encountered over and over again is this idea of the supremacy of God, that in spite of present circumstances, in, in spite of appearances, in, in, in spite of how bad things might look, God is at work and God is in control and, and God 
is doing his work in the world. And uh, that theme has come up over and over again in Daniel and has encouraged us and encouraged many people going through really difficult times um, with, the, with the truths that are here as we've been reflecting on. So I'm really grateful to God for that. And I'm really excited this morning to be looking at Daniel 11. Uh, you're probably scratching your head wondering how I could be excited to be preaching uh, from this passage if you've had the opportunity to read it. Uh, it's a very, very interesting uh, and strange passage, but no stranger and no more weird than many of the other things we've looked at in Daniel. Um, but my message this morning is entitled, The God of History and our story. And uh, I, I hope that this message really encourages you and blesses you, uh, because I think God has a lot to say f- to us uh, from this passage. So why don't I pray, and we'll get into the Word. Father, we thank you for your grace at this time that enables us uh, to, uh, to continue to worship together, uh, to come around your Word. We thank you for the gifts and the ministries of various people who are making this a reality for us. Uh, We thank you for your word, and we thank you for people like Daniel and the men, the faithful men and women of God who've recorded these scriptures for us and who've uh, allowed us to come around them even today. Uh, We thank you for their sacrifice, and we thank you for this opportunity uh, to reflect on this incredible chapter. And we pray that your Holy Spirit will be at work in our hearts to encourage us, to stir us up, to challenge us. Uh, And Lord, that you would give us ears to hear and a heart to obey the things that you put on our heart today. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, So if you've read this passage, and I trust that you have, um, there's so much history going on here. And uh, because of time and because of all the details, I'm not going to go verse by verse and explain the correlation of who's who and which kingdom's what and all of that. Any history book of the Hellenistic period or the time period that this is in view, 6th century BC to the 2nd century BC, so the end of the Persian Empire, the time of Cyrus, uh, and afterwards to the rise of uh, Alexander the Great and and the Greek Empire, any history book on that period will help you correlate what the Bible has to say with the actual historical events. Suffice to say that our particular focus in Daniel is on the two kingdoms that we come up with over and over again, the king, kingdom of the south and the kingdom of the north. So we see um, in the north, uh, the king of the north in Syria. Um, we, we see in the king of south based in Egypt. Um, and, and the tension and the ongoing conflict between these two kings. And we're talking about the Ptolemies and the Seleucids um, and, and the, the, the conflict that raged for many, many years with the, the kings that succeeded these original rulers. Um, and this is significant uh, for us to keep in mind because Israel, uh, the people of God, the Jews, had returned now to the land of Israel and were sandwiched between these two empires and were caught in the crossfire, as it were. And, and which is why um, Daniel and the Bible is particularly interested in what's going on in these two empires, because it had a direct impact and a direct effect on the people of God. So that's kind of all I want to say by way of introduction and as a historical kind of overview. But I want us to jump into the, 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 the meaning of this passage and what it has to say to us today and how we can be encouraged by what Daniel has to say to us today. And the first thing I want to kind of show you from this passage that's so encouraging is that God is at work in history. God is at work in history. 
Um, in Daniel chapter 7, we, we saw this, um, this idea that at the climax of history, the Ancient of Days who sits on the throne will bring judgment and, and vindicate the people of God and will, will um, bring all of these evil rulers and empires to account uh, for the way they've uh, conducted themselves in defiance to God. And, and we know and we have this assurance, this final hope that when Jesus comes back and, and when God brings His kingdom finally, there will be judgment and, there, and God will make everything right. And we have that assurance. But what is particularly encouraging in Daniel 11 is that we see that God not only will bring about judgment and act at the climax of history, but He's also very much present and acting within history. Now, the text brings this out in, in two ways. Firstly, uh, with this sense of futility. Now, I don't know if you, as you were reading through this, that you got that sense, but that's what Daniel is trying to evoke in us as we read this, the emotion and the feeling that he wants to create in us. As we see these intrigues and these treacheries and these alliances and, and we see these armies going out and there's victories and then there's defeats and there's all these uh, deals being made and people given in marriage and, and all kinds of political upheaval and unrest and um, all kinds of disasters that are going on. And, and yet, none of these things actually seem to achieve and accomplish what these people are setting out to accomplish. And the way the text does this, and it might be a good thing for you to do after this message, is actually sit down and read through it and notice the number of times words like but or yet or however are used throughout this passage. Um, just give you a, a sample of these. Um, if we look at verse 9, then the king of the north will invade the realm of the king of the south, but will retreat to his own country. Verse 11, the king of the south will march out in a rage and fight against the king of the north who will raise a large army, but it will be defeated. When the army is carried off, the king of the south will be filled with pride and will slaughter many thousands. This is verse 12, yet he will not remain triumphant. And then we jump down to verse 14. Those who are violent among your own people will rebel in fulfillment of the vision, but without success. And then down to verse 17. He will determine to come with the might of his entire army and will make an alliance with the king of the south. And he will give him a daughter in marriage, all these alliances in order to overthrow the kingdom, but his plans will not succeed or help him. Verse 18, then he will return or he will turn his attention to the coastlands and will take many of them, but a commander will put an end to his insolence. Verse 19, after this, he will turn back toward the fortresses of his own country, but will stumble and fall to be seen no more. And it goes on and on and on in the same vein to create this sense that in spite of the best and the most valiant attempts of these supposed history makers who are mighty and powerful and strong and, and are arrogant in their desire to do whatever they want. We see this repeated idea that their plans will not succeed. Their plans will be thwarted. Uh, it, th there's something else going on. And in the context of Daniel, that is the God of the universe, the Ancient of Days, who is acting in history. The second way the text brings this out is towards the, the second half of chapter 11, where we get this repeated theme of the appointed time. And we see this in verse 29, at the appointed time, he will invade the south again. In verse 33, those who are wise will instruct many, though for a time they will fall by the sword. And then verse 35, it says, some of the wise will stumble so that they may be refined, purified, and made spotless until the time of the end 
for it will still come at the appointed time. That the text makes it clear that even these evil rulers, though it seems like they're rampaging and that they, 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 there's no checks, there's nothing to restrain and, and hold them back, the text of Daniel 11 reminds us that that is not the reality, that they're like those fierce guard dogs that you see in movies. You know, somebody jumps into a, a backyard and all of a sudden there's like a, a Rottweiler or a German shepherd and it, it comes tearing at them and they're freaking out and they're running to get away. And then all of a sudden you hear this clink and there's this chain around this wild dog that holds it back. Or the person's able to jump over a fence and, and the dog can't come through. Ooh. Uh, come through the fence. And that is the idea, and that is what this text is trying to convey to us with this phrase of the appointed time, that there are these rulers who think that they're free to do whatever they want, and they have all the power and all the dominion, and they're going to uh, uh, have a particular plan and a purpose and, and manipulate, but they can't because their rule is appointed, and God is active in history. Now, does that mean that God will always act in history, that God will always come to the rescue, that God will always save the day, that God will always make everything right? Well, I don't think that that's what the text is saying. Because imagine yourself living in this time, going through these hardships, wondering, God, when? When will you rescue? When will you bring about change? When will you free us? And they didn't know the answers, but they kept trusting God, knowing that there was an appointed time. But what our text does seem to suggest is that maybe God acts in history more often than we really think. More often than we suppose, God is involved in history. And so three kind of quick applications that come out of this that I hope will encourage us today. The first is this, that just like God is not passive in history and we don't need to wait for the climax of history for God to act, God is not passive in our story. He's actively involved. We might not see it, and He might not act in the time that we want or in the way that we want, but He is active in our story because that is the kind of God we have. It's the same God of Daniel 11 that was active in history that is also active in our own story. And Romans 8 reminds us of this when it says that, and we know, we know, Paul says, that in all things, God works. God is at work to bring good for His people and for the glory of His name, God is at work in our story. The second application is that God knows the details of our story. And I think this is an incredibly encouraging truth, that our God is not just the God of the big picture, and sometimes we can think of God that way. He, he's transcendent, He's big, He's out there, He's sovereign, He holds the whole universe in His hands, and maybe God just misses all the details of our lives. Well, Psalm 139 is this incredible psalm where David reflects on this truth. And he says, no, uh, 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 God knew us before we were born. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. He says in the psalm elsewhere that, God, you know every one of my thoughts from afar. You know every word before I even speak it. And then he reflects on that and he says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. God is not just the God of the big stuff. God is also the God of the details of our lives. And what's more, it's not that God just knows them but He's interested in them, and He cares about them, and He's present in the details. God is not taken by surprise by anything that happens in our lives. It's not like God kind of goes, oh, I didn't know that was going to happen. No, God knows, and He cares incredibly deeply about every single event that happens in your life, and He's wanting to be involved and wanting to be present with you in the details of your life. 
The third application that comes out of this point is that God is also in control of our story. I think uh, our situation right now with COVID-19 has reminded us how little we can actually control of our lives. Many of us have made plans for this month. We had plans as a church for Easter. Uh, you know, we, uh, people had made plans to get married and 21st birthdays and to travel and to do all kinds of things. And all of that has been changed because we're really not in control. And sometimes I think in our arrogance as humans, we can forget how dependent we are and how we ought to hold our plans very, very loosely. Because as Proverbs reminds us in 19.21, many other plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Uh, I think this is such an incredible reminder for us right now as the things that we put our security and confidence in that has made us think that because of our technology and because of our, of our advances in medicine and, and our uh, evolved intellect, that we can be the masters of our own destiny. And COVID-19 has reminded us, no, something like a flu can actually wipe out so many things in our society and culture. And so, um, as James reminds us, let's guard our hearts against the arrogance of thinking that we can make our own plans and, and we can determine the course of our own story and hold to them lightly and say, if the Lord wills, just like Jesus did in the garden when he came to God in sincerity and he came to his Father uh, with total transparency and honesty and says, God, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, but not as I will, but as you will. And I think we would do well to have a similar attitude to the plans that we make and to the things that we want to set in motion, that we are honest with God about the desires of our heart, but we hold to them loosely, recognizing that just like God is in control of the details of history, He's also in control of the details of our story, and we can trust Him with that. We can trust Him uh, because He's our loving Father who wants to bless us and to keep us in His care. The second thing I want to draw your attention to from Daniel 11 is the shift that takes place in verse 21. And so here, uh, the focus is really about the people of God and the impact of the evil rulers, particularly one, Antiochus Epiphanes, and the impact that he had on them. And I want to uh, challenge us to be thinking about this truth, our faithfulness to God will be tested. Now again, this is not a, a new thought uh, we've come across this in other parts of Daniel. We looked at it in Daniel 7, how the people of God were going to experience more and more suffering as time goes on. We've seen it in Daniel chapter 10. Uh, we've seen it throughout where Daniel has reminded us that things are going to get worse for the people of God. And in verse 21, we begin uh, the section uh, where the, the ruler is this contemptible person. And that specifically re refers to Antiochus Epiphanes. And what's significant in our chapter is that almost the same number of verses are devoted to this guy in the 12 years of his reign as is devoted to all the other kings that came before him, which span about 355 years. So 355 years, about 19 verses, and then his 12-year reign, about 15 verses. Pretty amazing in, in showing how significantly Antiochus Epiphanes Im impacted the people of God and the terror that he brought and the, uh, and the absolute uh, suffering that he introduced to the people of God. And we see this in the text in verses like verse 30, where he says, ships of the western coastlands will oppose him and he will lose heart, then he will turn back and vent his fury against 
the holy covenant. And verse 28, the king of the north will return to his own country with great wealth, but his heart will be set against the holy covenant. And history records that Antiochus Epiphanes introduced a reign of terror and was set on eliminating every trace of Judaism in, uh, in the people of God. He made it, uh, he introduced the death penalty for anyone circumcising their male children. Uh, he made the death penalty for keeping the Sabbath or having a copy of the Torah. Uh, he outlawed every form of sacrifice other than uh, sacrifice to Zeus, which the Bible refers to here as the, the abomination of desolation. Um, he introduced a whole bunch of things to systematically eradicate Judaism and the worship of Yahweh. And he brought great pain and destruction to the people of God. Um, Dale Ralph Davis, uh, the Bible commentator that we've been referring to a lot, he says this, Antiochus instituted a, religi a religious rampage against the covenant people. He was set on emasculating the vitals of biblical faith and was determined to see every Jew apostatize. In his reign of terror, it seemed the only choice was to be a live pagan or a dead Israelite. Now again, as I've said, this is not new in Daniel. We've seen this over and over again, not just in 7 to 12, but we see it throughout the book of Daniel. So what's new here? Well, what's new is commentators believe that Antiochus didn't just settle for external pressure and external persecution. One of the things that he did that was different, that really gave him a strong foothold uh, among the people of God in Israel, was that he tempted them to compromise. You see, there was a group of people um, in Israel who were really taken up and preoccupied with Greek culture, with Hellenistic culture. And they were really wanting to embrace different things from Hellenistic culture. And they wanted to kind of go down that road of becoming more and more Greek. And so our text tells us that Antiochus, he pandered to that. He made it easy for them to do that. He encouraged them to do that. We see this in verse 30 again, after it's mentioned about his fury. It says, he will return and show favor to those who forsake the holy covenant. Verse 32, with flattery, he will corrupt those who have violated the covenant. You see, and I think this is such a challenging word for us because we talk a lot about persecution. Yes, and it will come. And in many parts of the world, it's there now. But there is an equally dangerous threat for the people of God. And it always has been and will always be. And that is what the enemy can't kill from without, what the enemy can't destroy by attacking from outside, he will corrupt and weaken from within. He will water it down. He will bring compromise. Because for these people, these Jewish people that sided with Antiochus, it meant that they compromised on their mor morality. They, they compromised on what Torah taught. They compromised on their spiritual commitment and passion to Yahweh God. And they gave in to the temptations and the pressure of their culture. And we see all the way from the book of Numbers with the temptation of Balaam, remember that? When Balak wanted to attack the people of God and he knew he wouldn't succeed, then he got Balaam. And Balaam came up with the strategy of enticing Israel to compromise and bring about God's judgment on them. All the way from there, throughout the, the, the children of Israel being in the, in the promised land and compromising with the Canaanites around them. And then we, when we get to the book of Revelation, chapters 2 and 3, which are the letters to the churches, tell us over and over again of the danger of not just persecution, but of internal compromise with idolatry and sexual immorality and false teaching and a whole bunch of things. So I want to suggest to you, church, that this is an ongoing danger and a challenge for us 
and we need to guard our hearts, particularly in this COVID-19 environment when our normal spiritual practices and routines might be disrupted and turned upside down. We're not able to meet regularly at church on a Sunday or in Connect Group, maybe because we're working from home. Our devotion time is all disrupted. I know we were talking in our Connect Group, and some of the people in our Connect Group are saying that this time has been a really good time for them. It's helped them connect with God more, and they feel like their spiritual life is thriving and flourishing, whereas others are finding it really hard, and their routine is all disrupted, and they're distracted by many things. People are online and on their computers and on screens all the time for different reasons, and there's so many things that can preoccupy our time and our attention, and we might find our hearts and our passion and our commitment to Jesus slowly beginning to wane. And that's what I want us to be aware of and guard our hearts against. That what the enemy can't kill from the outside because he can't, that he will try to weaken from within. And we ought to guard ourselves and our hearts from the slow decline in our spiritual fervor. The last thing I want to encourage you with is this great truth that we're told at the end of verse 32. With flattery, he will corrupt those who have violated the covenant, but the people who know their God will firmly resist him. Um, and again, uh, this refers uh, to in the time of uh, Daniel 11 to a, a group of people that were initially led by um, a well-known priest called Mattathias uh, and his sons that came after him who resisted Antiochus Epiphanes. And their rebellion or their uprising is uh, famously known as the Maccabean uh, Revolution. And what they did was uh, oppose Antiochus and call Israel back to covenant faithfulness. And I love this because, you know, I, was, uh, I heard this story about the painted turtle, and uh, the story goes that um, when the painted turtle sees that winter is coming, um, it dives down to the bottom of the pond, and it covers itself with mud and slime, and it slows down everything in its body. It goes into hibernation. It slows down its heart rate. It slows down its breathing. It slows down, its, it lowers its body temperature, and it pretty much withdraws into its shell and, and lies dormant. And what was interesting about that for me is that when all this stuff is happening for us, that's a real temptation with all the, the uncertainty and the anxiety and the worry of losing our jobs, of sickness, of the death of loved ones, of all kinds of chaos happening in our world, just like it would have been for them. The temptation is for us to withdraw into our shells and to hibernate and just to hold on like the turtle does for six months until the pond begins to thaw and spring comes and the sun begins to shine again and, and it can come back to life. Let's not be like the turtles. Let's not be sitting in, in dormancy and hibernating and, and just retreating into our shells and do nothing. I love this about this passage because we're told that there was a remnant, a group of people who also resolved in their heart that they would not be like that, that they would be people who know their gods and some transition says will not firmly resist him but will take action or will do great exploits. And that's what I want to encourage us with as we wrap this up that in this time, let's resist the urge of being dormant, being inactive, and just holding on for the next six months, and then saying, okay, well, then we will step back into real life and get on with stuff. 
No, right now, we have incredible opportunities to, to resist the enemy, to resist evil, to do good, to do great things, to do exploits for God, to, to be salt and to be light and to be a blessing. And we see that these people, they did that. They just didn't endure. They imp impacted those around them. We, we're told in verse 33, those who are wise will instruct many. We're told in verse um, 30, in, in 34, when they fall, they will receive a little help, and many who are not sincere will join them. Their passion and their zeal inspired other people who were kind of sitting on the fence to actually join in the fight against Antiochus Epiphanes and to return to Yahweh. Wouldn't it be awesome for us in this moment to so know our God, to be stirring up our passion, to be uh, growing in Him and, and digging deep into Him and His Word and in worship and in prayer as we've already talked about, and not just to endure and not just to hold on to our spiritual passion, but to actually do things, to actually do exploits, to resist the evil, to shine in the light, to make a difference in the lives of other people and to impact others for the cause of Christ and the glory of God. We have a unique opportunity, a unique moment when so many things are shutting down to rise up as the people of God, to step up and to fulfill God's call for us to be the church that He's calling us to be. Why don't you bow your heads with me and why don't you just take a moment to reflect on what I've said and to let the Holy Spirit to speak to you and encourage you. Let's pray. Father God, we're so thankful for your word in Daniel 11 that encourages, encourages us with this incredible truth that you're not just a God of history, the sovereign, almighty God who reigns and rules in heaven, but Lord, you're the God that's very present in our own story. Father, you know the challenges that many of us have faced this week and many of us will continue to face in the weeks that come, whether it's, Lord, the death of relatives and loved ones or the sickness of family members or people we know or the pressures of working in a very different environment or for those who are working on the front lines of medical care and the risks that they're taking to care for people who are sick or whether it's those who've lost their jobs or going to be in financial uh, difficulty because of their business uh, having to shut down or whatever the scenario might be, Lord, for us. I pray, Lord, that we would hold on to these truths, that we don't have to wait till the end of history for you to act that even though we might not be able to see it or know it, that you're at work in our story, that you're orchestrating things, that you're weaving together a tapestry of beauty and wonder and, uh, and creating, Lord, a story that will bring glory and honor to you, just like Daniel 11 does to us today. Lord, that you're a God that challenges us to guard our hearts against the slow decline of being preoccupied with other things, of wanting to fit in with our culture, of wanting to take the easy road, of wanting to compromise and to, Lord, let our hearts grow cold gradually. We pray, Father, will you stir up our heart, will you fan into flame our faith that in this time of kind of different routine and things being turned upside down, that, Lord, you would be very present and real with us. And, Lord, I pray that you would not just empower us by your Spirit to endure the assaults of evil from without and the, and the temptations to compromise within, but Lord, that you also empower us to do exploits, to resist evil, to make a difference, to impact the lives of those around us. We ask for your blessing and your strength and your power 
to be with us in the week ahead. And we commit ourselves to the God of history, who is the God of our story, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Parramatta Christian Church podcast. To hear other sermons or to find out more about our church, please visit our website at pcc.org.au.